Well, we're going to be in um, Daniel chapter 2, and we're kind of getting started early on the message today because we want to leave some time at the end for Pastor Nick to come up and cry, I mean talk to us. Um, where's Nick? I want to make eye contact with him when I'm making fun of him. There he is. Okay, good. Very good. Uh, yeah, wow. Daniel chapter 2, uh, by the way, this is just trivia. It, you know, most of you who have been around the Bible or know this, that the Bible primarily was written Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, Greek. But there's actually a very small section of the Bible that was written in Aramaic. That's exactly right. And it's from Daniel chapter 2, verse 4, all the way through Daniel 7. Just these five chapters were written in Aramaic because these, these are the times of the Gentiles as Daniel was a Babylonian Chaldean writing in the, uh, well, he wasn't a Babylonian. He was living in Babylon at that time, but he, he wrote in uh, the language of Chaldea and Aramaic at that time. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Bible prophecy today. I'm going to give you a, a warning in advance that today is going to feel probably more like a prophecy seminar than a sermon. So if this is your first Sunday, please don't judge us by what you hear in the next 20 minutes because this is not normal. Messages from God's Word to me need to have a focus on life application, how, we, how God's Word can change your life. There's going to be a little less of that today, but it's still, I trust that it's God's Word and it's going to speak to you. Now, when I first became a Christian, actually most of you know my story, that out of high school I spent about three years, uh, just that I can't remember anything that happened because I was on drugs those three years, from 18 to 21. Um, marijuana took me to cocaine. Can I just say something about marijuana too? Just because it's legal doesn't make it right. Okay, You know, you say, well, pastor, how's that different from drinking? Jesus turned water into wine. Yeah, you can have a glass of wine without getting high. I think the only reason you smoke a joint is to alter your mental state, okay? I don't see social weed toking or whatever. Anyway, uh, that's just my two cents, okay? So... Um, I got addicted to drugs, and I went to treatment center more than once and began to go to AA meetings to try to get my life clean. And in the process, they talk about a higher power. So I began to open myself up spiritually to search for God. I had a Catholic upbringing, so I knew some about Christianity. Uh, but I began trying to look for the truth. I didn't just want to trust the doorknob as my higher power, as they sometimes say in AA. And so um, where do you go for the truth? You know, how do you know if the Baptists or the Catholics or the Methodists or the Presbyterians or, you know, they all seem to argue? Well, my wife, I was dating her at the time, said the Bible was written by God. And I began, you know, she said, don't trust what people say. Don't trust it. I would tell you, don't trust me. Okay, I'm a person. Don't trust the denomination, man-made religion. Go straight to the source. And so I began reading the Bible, and I did something that I would never recommend any of you doing. I started with Revelation. <laughs> because I was interested in Bible prophecy, this whole, I, I heard this radio show by Dr. David Hawking of the Biola Hour. And, um, and it was a 10-part series on what is the tribulation, what is the millennium, when will Jesus come back, and all these future things. And I just kind of geeked out and got into it. In fact, do you guys remember cassette tapes? Uh, for, the, for those of you younger people, this was before live streaming and you could actually, anyway. I, I had a cassette tape series, that's me with hair. Um, and I, I listened to that entire Bible prophecy series, 10 parts, 
you know, an hour each, like 10 hours. And I wrote down every single verse in a notebook. And 35 years later, I still have that notebook today because uh, it, was, it was powerful. So I started, I'm just putting it down here gently. Okay. Um, I started with Bible prophecy. Now, here's why I like Bible prophecy, okay? Number one, Bible prophecy to me at that time led me to Christ. Because to me, Bible prophecy affirms the Word of God. Now, when I talk about prophecy, I'm talking about predicting the future. In fact, today we were in the book of Ezekiel 37 in our life group classes. And Ezekiel 37 is one of the most amazing prophecies where it says the nation of Israel will be dead for a long time, try 1,878 years, and then come to life as a strong army standing in their own land again, which they did. Uh, when you look at the Old Testament, which historically, logically, archaeologically, all those other mathematically, scientifically names, it was written before, hundreds of years before Jesus lived. And yet there are over 300 things written in the Old Testament that Jesus did, and they were written hundreds of years before he was born. Explain that to me, pessimist. Explain to me how the Bible can predict kingdoms rising and falling and, and things in the end times. And so, again, logically, this was my journey to faith because the Bible's batting a thousand. Batting better than the, lost, what, what was it, the angels 125 to 1 yesterday, they bat like 550. But the Bible's batting a thousand. No mistakes. Everything the Bible says is going to happen has happened. Okay, for me, logically, it was like, okay, I can trust only God could write this book. So therefore, if the God who wrote this book says that Jesus is his son and he's the hero of this book who lived and died and rose again for me, I'm putting my trust in him. That's a weird way to come to faith, but that's how it happened for me. Okay? Number two. Number two. The Bible prophecy I love because it assures me that God's in control of the world. You know, when you watch the news and you watch what's going on in the world, it seems like nobody's in control. It seems like total chaos. Evil is expanding. AI is going to make everybody extinct. Um, meteorites are going to hit and kill planet Earth. Aliens are going to invade. We're all going to die. You know what? I'm not worried about the future. Now, why? Because the plan is written out. I don't have all the details, but here's what I know. Our side wins. Jesus is coming back to this earth and he is going to establish an everlasting kingdom of righteousness and peace. There will be no death. There will be no sin. There will be no politicians or insurance companies. Pretty sure they're all going to hell too. Anyway, just kidding. <laughs> so for the next 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes, you guys look like an above average intelligence crowd this morning. So um, we're going to talk about Bible prophecy, and we're going to look at world kingdoms in Daniel chapter 2, one of the most amazing prophecies. And just in case, I know we're going through the Bible reading plan, and I know all of you read Daniel 2 this week, but in case you're in a different Bible reading plan, you're a guest or you're backslidden, 
I'm going to go ahead and tell you just real quickly what happens in Daniel 2. Nebuchadnezzar is a historical king who lived 2,600 years ago. He was the king of the Babylonian Empire, one of the great, probably the greatest, powerful, most powerful king that ever lived uh, at that time. And he has a dream at the beginning of his empire. And this dream he knows is more than just a dream. It means something. And he wakes up and he calls in all of his Chaldean wise men, magician, conjurers, you know, people that he can say, I had a dream. And I need to know what this dream means. Now, these were all the people that were left over from the previous empire. And they said to him, king, tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. And the king said, I don't trust any of you. If I tell you the dream, you're going to go get together. You're going to lie. Come back and tell me this is what the dream means. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to tell me what I dreamt. And then I'll know you can tell me the interpretation of the dream. And they're like... Come again? You're going to tell me what I dreamt. Well, king, there's nobody that could tell you what you dreamt except the gods himself. And by the way, there's no king who's ever asked such a thing of his wise men before. And though the king just said, you know what, go home. You're all going to be killed. I'm going to have you all killed, okay? And Daniel, who's one of the new wise men who came from the nation of Judah, young guy at this time, comes to the king and says, listen, before you kill everybody, could you give me time to pray about this? Daniel prays with his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Rakshak and Benny, they're also called. Meshach, Yershak, and a bugalow. Um, <clears throat> and they, they pray, and God reveals to Daniel what the dream was. And so Daniel comes in around verse 26, 27, 28, and he says to the king, King, nobody can know this, but there's a God who knows exactly what you dreamt. And this God was telling you the future. And for me, you're not receiving this vision for me because of anything special in me. This is God telling you the dream. And so we're going to pick up at verse 31. This is Daniel telling the king what his dream was. And what we're going to see is this dream spoke of the future world empires and even speaks today of the future that will take place beyond this date today. Verse 31, you, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. And that statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. Now watch this. The head of the statue was made of gold. The breast was made of arms, excuse me, the breast and arms were made of silver. Its belly and its thighs were made of bronze. Its legs were, were made of iron. And its feet, partly of iron, partly of clay. And you continued looking until this stone that was cut out without hands came and struck the statue on its feet, don't forget, that's where it strikes it, on the feet of iron and clay, and crushed them. And the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all crushed at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so there was not a trace was found. Now, please watch for this portion of which I have put together for you special effects. That's as good as I get right there, okay? But then the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the entire earth. That was the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation. I'm sure at this point the king is going like, that was the dream. And he's on the edge of his seat and he's like, what's it mean? 
And so he says, okay, here's the interpretation. Verse 37, 38, he says, King, you are the head of gold. Babylon, your empire, is the head of gold. Then he says in verse 39, After you there will arise another kingdom which will be inferior to you, and then after that will be a third kingdom of bronze which will rule over the earth. Now keep in mind, we're talking about world kingdoms here. Not just, you know, little nations or strong powers. World kingdoms. They're going to rule over the whole earth. And then notice the fourth one gets a lot more attention. There will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron. Inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things, the iron breaks in pieces. It will crush and break all these things in pieces. Now, before we get to the feet, let's just go back and look at what these kingdoms are. Because we can look back now in history and see that the Babylonian kingdom ruled the earth for about 70 years. And Nebuchadnezzar had this dream somewhere around 600 B.C., long before the next empire came. But the next empire that came up, two arms, Medes and Persians, Darius the Mede, uh, Xerxes, you know, the, the Persian. Start off with the Medes, the Persians took it over. Around 333, somewhere around there, you might have heard of someone called Alexander the Great, who was a young man who swiftly conquered the whole world, and he cried because there were no kingdoms left to conquer. He died in his 30s, and he left the Grecian Empire to his four generals. It was divided into four kingdoms. And then Greece was ultimately taken down 146 B.C., at the Battle of Corinth, and the Iron Legions of Rome, Iron Legs, Iron Legions of Rome. By the way, Rome under Constantine divided the kingdom into Eastern Roman Empire, ruled from Constantinople, Western Roman Empire, ruled in Rome, two legs, Iron Legs, okay? So again, this is all, to me this is so cool because it's a historical fact that Daniel wrote uh, long before these things happen. I'm geeking out right now. That's cool. All right. So we get to verse 42. You say, what about the feet? What about these feet of iron mixed with clay? Verse 42 says that the feet were partly of iron, partly clay. The kingdom will be partly strong, partly brittle. And then look at verse 44. In the days of those kings, which kings? The kings of the feet, the ten toes, the ten kings. We're going to talk about this number ten, so stay with me. These ten kings, the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom which will be temporary. No, never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people that will crush, put an end to all these kingdoms, and itself will endure forever. And as much as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountains without hands, it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and it's trustworthy. Interpretation is trustworthy. Now, most of you probably have heard or know that the Bible speaks of a final world kingdom, a one world empire uh, that is ruled by, uh, we usually refer to him as Antichrist. Uh, the Bible just refers to him in Revelation 13 as the beast. And he provides that no one would buy or sell except the one who has the mark on his hand or his forehead, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. And here's wisdom. Let him who calculate, calculate the number is the number of the of man is the number... 666, okay? Um, but what people don't often recognize is that with the beast will come this 10-nation uh, confederacy that seems to come out of Rome because the clay goes down into 
the toes. Now, keep in mind that there has not been a world-wide uh, empire since Rome fell. But today, uh, even though there's been no world kingdom since that day, the majority of the world still operates under Roman influence. Roman law, the creation of democratic government practices, the Roman Republic, things like that. So, uh, again, I'm not trying to predict that it's Rome or Europe or anything like that, but somehow Rome is going to be connected in this final world empire. And then, so this future world empire, because the stone crushes the feet, and then the mountain comes, which is uh, going to, you know, be the kingdom of Jesus that is coming back to this earth. Uh, at the end of the tribulation, the Bible speaks of Christ coming, returning. His feet stand on the Mount of Olives. He is going to literally fight the Battle of Armageddon against the nations of the world, destroy them. Satan's bound for a thousand years, peace, reign, rule, and uh, into the new heavens and the new earth. So here's what we learn from Daniel 2, that there are four world empires. Somehow in the future, even after this date, is going to be another world empire that seems to have some connection with Rome or Europe. That will come out, and, uh, and then Jesus is going to come and establish his everlasting kingdom. Now, just so you see that this isn't just a one-off, I want you to quickly turn over to Daniel 7. Because in Daniel 7, also in Aramaic, uh, Daniel has a vision in the first year of Belshazzar, uh, the, the king in Daniel 5 with the handwriting on the wall. We're going to study next week in our life group. Um, and, and again, Daniel 7 brings a blow-by-blow breakup of, of future events in such a way that skeptics have a hard time uh, understanding how it was written before it happened. Daniel has a vision in his own dream of four beasts. And interesting, these same four beasts are the same four kingdoms. The first one is a winged lion, which is actually the symbol of Babylon. The second beast that comes up out of the sea is a bear with ribs in its teeth raised up on one side because the Persians eventually took over the Medes. Uh, the third one is a four-headed, interesting, leopard. Not just fast leopard, but leopard with wings because Alexander the Greek went blitz, took over the world, died, and four kingdoms came out of that, uh, came out of Alexander the Great. And then the fourth beast is Rome. And it's just called, in verse 7, a beast. After this... I kept looking in the night visions, Daniel writes, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful, terrifying, extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. Once again, the iron legions of Rome. Iron is connected to this fourth beast. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder of its feet. It was different from all the other beasts before it, and it had how many? Ten horns. Again, something of ten coming out of Rome. Okay, while I was contemplating the horns, Daniel says, another horn, a little one, came up among them. And three of the first horns were pulled out by its roots. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and mouth uttering great beasts. We don't have time to look deeper into this, but this is the beast. This is the Antichrist who is going to come up out of those ten nations. And then once again, immediately following these ten kings, we see... Jesus coming back. From verse 9 down to verse 14, it's all the kingdom of God. In fact, verse 13 says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man coming. Wow, and this is Old Testament. Jesus said in, in Matthew 24, 19, behold, I am coming with the clouds, 
at the end of the tribulation, immediately after the tribulation, I'm coming with the clouds. And here's Daniel writing about it uh, 2,600 years ago, 600 years before Jesus lived. One is coming like the Son of Man with the clouds. He came up to the Ancient of Days. It was presented to him. Then to give it him dominion, glory, kingdom, that peoples, nations, men of every language might serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. So Daniel is having this vision. Again, I don't have time to dig into chapter 7, but he wants to know what this fourth beast means. And so here's what he's told down in verse 23. Okay? The fourth beast, which you saw, is a fourth kingdom. This is Rome on the earth. It will be (coughs) different from the other three kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth, tread it down, and crush it. Now watch this. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom, out of which kingdom? Rome, out of the fourth beast, ten kings will arise and another after them who will be different from the previous ones and subdue three kings. And he speaks in verse 25, altering time. Uh, He'll be judged. And then verse 27, then the sovereignty, dominion, greatness of all the kingdoms of the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints. And his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions will serve and obey him. Translation, Christ is coming back to rule. And I love, by the way, don't miss, that the kingdom is given to the saints of the highest one. You and I will be there to possess the kingdom. Christ is king, but you and I will be a part of it. Every tribe, every nation, every people will be represented in the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness and peace and justice Dwell. So what do we see in Daniel 7? We see the exact same thing we saw in Daniel 2. Four nations, four world kingdoms rising, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. Out of Gro- Rome, out of that fourth beast comes another beast with ten horns. And so this final world empire that we see coming even today in the future, according to at least the, the best interpretation that I and other people a lot smarter than, than me can give you is there will be some Ten nations, ten kings, maybe the world will be divided into ten regions, but somehow something that comes out of Rome, again, it doesn't have to be Italy, it doesn't have to be Europe, but something connected out of that Roman Empire will come. Ten nations with the Antichrist that will rule the world. By the way, isn't it interesting that as we live today, the world's getting a smaller place. The increase of technology, the increase of satellites, the increase of... of, uh, You know, even the last few years, we have seen global pandemics talk about worldwide laws and governments coming into place and enforcement and an oppression of freedoms and rights and a new world order, build back better, all those things that the world is being set up for what the Bible says in the end times will be a one world government where the entire earth will worship Uh, the beast and be under the control. Um, And again, I don't want to cause you panic because let me just say this. Listen, I've got young kids. I've got young grandkids and I want to see them grow up. And I'm, hey, Jesus could come 100 years from now. I'm not predicting any dates. That's not what this is about. And let me tell you, if you're a Christian, Titus 2 says the blessed hope of every believer is the return of Christ. That means we should be looking forward to it. Not, hey, you don't want to be alive in the time of the end because it's really going to be bad. That's not what the Bible says. That these are exciting times to be living in as we see Bible prophecy being 
fulfilled. But again, some point in the future, I think there's going to be some ten king, ten kingdom alliance that, that is going to partner with the Antichrist and rule the world in the future. And then it's only going to be a short time, then Christ comes. Now, one more I'm going to give you, and that's we don't have time to turn there, so don't turn there. But let me tell you, in Revelation 17, John, the apostle John, who was on the Isle of Patmos, had a vision. And he saw in chapter 17, the beast, the beast had seven heads, ten horns, and riding the beast was a woman, the mother of all harlots. She had in a glass a cup of the immoralities with which she drank with the, all the businessmen and the merchants and everything. But here's what the Bible says concerning the beast, that the beast had ten horns, and those ten horns which you saw are what? Ten kings who have not yet received authority, but they will receive authority with the beast, with the Antichrist. When the Antichrist, when the beast of Revelation 13 rises up, there's going to be ten kings that are going to rise up with him. They're going to receive authority for one hour. No, that's not 60 minutes. That's one brief period of time. Jesus said, my hour has not come. Okay, three and a half years, more than likely the last half of the tribulation. But watch this, the ten horns, the ten kings. It says they have one purpose, and their purpose as they rule the world is to give their power and their authority to the beast. The beast is going to have authority. He's going to have power. That's like having the badge and the gun, right? You've got the power. You've got the authority. And notice these ten kings, these ten nations, these ten kingdoms will literally fight against Jesus Christ. Revelation 17, 14 says, these ten kingdoms will wage war with the Lamb. When Christ comes back, there's going to be a war. And the Bible says that the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, will be riding with him. You and I will be riding with him, watching. We're not taking place. We're just spectators because the Lamb, the, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, with the sword that comes out of his mouth, Revelation 19, with the name on his uh, thigh, uh, word of God, is going to destroy the armies of the earth. Even in Psalm 2, Psalm 2, written 3,000 years ago, it says, The kings of the earth take their stand against the Lord and his Messiah. That the world is going to literally say, We know we're fighting God. God, we've had it with you. Come down here once and for all. We're getting rid of you. And he who sits in the heavens laughs. And that's where that scripture says, Kiss the sun in Psalm chapter 2. So the world's going to fight against Jesus. These ten kingdoms are going to fight against the Lamb. And guess who's going to win? The Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. The same meek and lowly Savior who walked the hills of Nazareth and Galilee and said, love your enemies and gave his life so that you could have eternal life is one day returning as judge, as Lord of lords and King of kings. He comes the first time as a lamb. He comes the second time as the lion. It's interesting, when Jesus read the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 63, you can read about this, I think it's in Matthew 4 or Luke 4, I think it's Luke 4, where he goes to the synagogue and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor and restore captives. And he cuts off in the middle of Isaiah, I think it's chapter 63, verse 3, I can't remember, but he cuts off his reading because where he stopped was the day of vengeance of our God. 
He closed the book, it says. Why? Because that's not the first coming. The first coming was to come to live and to die for the sins of the world so that we could be saved. The second time, he's coming to clean house. I'm sorry. But that's it. Evil is going to be destroyed. And Christ is going to establish an everlasting kingdom. So to me, this is weird, geek out, cool stuff. Okay? You guys can geek out on Pokemon. I geek out on Bible prophecy. Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Revelation 17, they all basically say the same thing. Four world empires. Following four world empires, we're going to see a future final world empire that involves something to do with ten kings and the Antichrist and the beast. But then that's not going to last very long because Jesus is coming back to establish his final kingdom. King of kings, Lord of lords, amen. Big breath. Now. Let me close with this. I want to make some application, and then Nick's going to get up here. How do we apply Bible prophecy to our lives? Well, one, I'm giving you for free. I love in 2 Peter 3, it says, since the world is going to go through these things, and there's going to be wars, and the, earth, the present earth is going to be destroyed, it says, what sort of people ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? That we ought to consider how this changes our lives, how we want to live for the Lord. But let me give you three applications of this study today, and then I'll close us in prayer. Number one, I want to remind you that all human government is going to fail. Okay? Uh, I love America. I'm a patriot. I'm going to spend the 4th of July watching the patriot because Mel Gibson is cool in that movie. And, uh, uh, and also, overshare, I'm having a colonoscopy on the 5th, and so I need to stay at home, if you know what I mean. But... Uh, that's TMI. Fine. Okay. Anyway, my fourth will be a blast. <laughs> anyway, um, I just thought of that on the fly, too. I don't know. That was, that was just, okay, sorry. I apologize. Please don't leave. Okay. So, <laughs> I think I just lost it right there. That was good. All right. Uh, human government. That's where I was. We'll fail. Now, look at this statue. If you were to build an actual statue with gold on top and clay on the bottom, that thing is stinking top-heavy. It's unstable. Clay can't hold up. Again, the message there is human beings cannot govern themselves. All human government will fail. Every government came and died, and the next one came and died, and the next one came and died, and God is still on his throne from everlasting to everlasting, he is God. And by the way, not only is this statue top-heavy, but notice the direction we're going. Gold, silver, not quite as good as gold. Bronze, not quite as good. Iron, clay. Try getting your wife a clay ring for uh, your anniversary and see how that goes around, you know what I'm saying? Because, again, we're deteriorating. You say, well, mankind's getting better and better. We're getting better in technology, but we're not getting better as human beings. In fact, Genesis chapter 11, where the Tower of Babel takes place, it's like, you know what? I need to put a stop to humanity cooperating together because then what he puts in his mind, the spread of evil, nothing will be impossible. So he confused us, changed our language, put barriers there which are only broken in Christ. That's the reverse Tower of Babel, by the way. Um, but now we see those barriers breaking down. 
Technology is breaking down all those barriers. The world is getting smaller, and the world is becoming more and more evil. So human government, again, go ahead and vote who your conscience puts on your heart to vote. Pray for those in politics, but don't put your hope in human government. Number two, the reminder is that this current world is temporary. And it, I'm so tempted to just live for the 80, 90, 100 years maybe that I'm going to get and forget that eternity is a lot longer than 80, 90, 100 years. Why we spend so much time investing in that which isn't going to last. What is eternal? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides how long? Forever. People are eternal. Relationships are eternal. The things you do for the kingdom are eternal. Okay? Don't build treasures on earth only where moth and can destroy and thieves break in and steal. But build treasures in heaven. Don't invest just for this world. Invest for the next. We've got to keep that in mind and have the long view as we live life. That there's a bigger picture that God has a plan and there's a kingdom. Your kingdom come your will be done. And then finally, God is sovereign. Take heart. Take courage. Don't freak out. Okay? That's the 11th commandment. My daughter used to, I used to say, what is the 11th commandment? She would say, thou shalt not freak. <laughs> that was our 11th commandment in the home. Might have been before your time, AJ. But Hannah got that one. So, but it's like, trust him. Okay? Now listen, I'm not saying, oh no. The world's getting evil. We need to all just hide in our rooms and, and, and bury our head in the sand and not see what's going on in the world. No, God's called us to be salt and light. We should be telling people at the stop sign that Jesus wants them to have a good day. Right? Because he's called us to make a difference in this world. That's going to last. I'll tell you what, Jerry's going to, when, when, when we get to heaven, Jerry's going to be in one of them mansions. You know what I mean? I'm going to be like in the hut at the bottom. Jerry, can I come visit you when you're up? Anyway, so he's, he's, he's investing in the king. He's living for the kingdom. And, and man, we, boy, I don't want to say this, but Christian, can we just stop complaining about how bad the world is? And just bloom where you're planted and start being filled with joy and making a difference for the kingdom of God with light and hope and love and, and, and pouring into the people around us because the world's depressing. But at the end of the day, don't be afraid. There's a plan. God has a plan. And, uh, um, and let me just give you one bonus application, and that is that the Bible is cool. Okay? And if you're younger than me, I would say the Bible is dope, or God's Word is sick, or Scripture's lit, or the Word of God is fire. Okay? No? I had to look those words up. Too. But in my generation, we just said it's cool, man. It's cool. It's awesome. It's tubular, radical. I don't know. I'd run out of adjectives. And, and, and invest in God's word. That's what this whole Bible reading plan series is all about, to encourage you to invest time in God's word every day. Would you?